and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. Else's spider sense tingling. Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? Cockroach! I could have crushed you with my bare hands, but that wouldn't have been messy. <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful choice. <laughs> and of course, we'd like to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular patrons, Bo, Carl, Katie, Jason, Zoe, James, Keith, and Cody. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're covering the 1967 show, which, as I imagine folks who follow along with us know, means we're bringing guests back. And we're actually bringing back a guest who's been on a couple of times. Uh, Welcome back, Chris Cummins. How's it going? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be on here and thwip with y'all. We're very happy to have you back. And of course, this is Chris Cummins of Sci-Fi Explosion. If folks don't know about Sci-Fi Explosion, what, what must they know? Well, for uh, this year, it marks the 10th anniversary of Sci-Fi Explosion, Ooh. which is, I call it a cosmic cabaret of craziness. Uh, it started <laughs> as a live show where I um, show weird clips to celebrate like the oddest moments in science fiction history. And then it turned into like performance and all this other wackiness. And uh, every Saturday, I do kind of a, the ultimate retro Saturday morning cartoon experience on Twitch. Uh, where you can see Spider-Woman smack Spidey serendipitously Saturday and other cartoon fun things. Uh, ah. So it's basically just like the, uh, I, I take weird PSAs and old commercials and the best cartoons and sometimes the worst cartoons from different eras <laughs> mix them all together and show them in like a two to three hour uh, Twitch show. And also uh, this year is, I'm really excited because Derek and I are actually launching a uh, monthly tokusatsu show, Tokusatsu yeah. Thursdays on uh on my twitch stream as well which is twitch.tv slash sci-fi explosion so tune in for all that and you can find me on a uh, sci-fi explosion and all the crazy social media stuff oh yeah yeah heck yeah well and i know you've shown some of the 67 spider-man shows sometimes uh you've been on here a couple of times for this show yeah but i think what's fun is you know you've you've been on when we were doing the first season we're on the second season now, and the second <laughs> season, like for all intents and purposes, is just a completely different show with mm-hmm. just some of the same trappings. So I'm curious what your, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm asking, but just like generally, like, do you have thoughts on sort of the Bakshi era and like how it differs from the first season? And do you have like a preference between the two? Yeah, I think I I, I think these are good questions. Um, The, the second and third seasons are completely different. Um, because it, it switched from, I forget the production company from the first season, but Krantz Films in New York took over the second season, which uh, Ralph Bakshi was involved with. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of, as we'll see when we're talking about this episode tonight, it's kind of like a complete reboot of the show in a lot of yep. ways, uh, which struck me because it has been a very long time since I saw this particular episode. Uh-huh. Uh, but to answer your question, I like the weirdness of this era but it's also super janky because of the recycling of animation and the recycling of shots is insane oh, um so 
as a whole, I think I prefer the first season as like as like a quality TV show type deal. Sure. But you know, the second and third seasons are just shit house bonkers, which <laughs> I have nothing but mad respect for. Yeah. yeah. Which well, I mean, this is probably like the most normal episode, probably the last pretty normal episode that we're ever going to get. I imagine of this show based on anything that I've seen after it. Um, and even this, it's like still such a distinctly different flavor than even all the other, you know, kind of relatively comics accurate episodes from the first season, just from which is how, how it's edited and, and written for this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I realized as you were, you were talking about it, Chris, I meant to rewatch this episode specifically to time how much uh, screen time is just Spider-Man swinging. And I forgot to do it. I meant to do it because it is a lot. It is a lot. (laughs) Yeah. There's so much recycled animation. Like the the thing about the first season is a lot of times you would have, I I think the majority, correct me if I'm wrong, the entire first season was two installments, right? Per episode. There was Uh, a couple of instances where they would be 22 minute ones, but it would be like, oh, we have a story that can fit a 22 minute one whereas yeah. this one it's all of them whether they should have been an 11 minute uh-huh. segment or not yes <laughs> this one is absolutely an 11 minute segment that is spaced out with another 11 minutes of recycled animation and web sling <laughs> uh well, oh yeah i have lots of thoughts on this but i don't want to jump ahead and derail the show like i usually do <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about this i'm I, i'm trying to be good this time because for those of you who listened to the last time I just completely took over the show and was a maniac. So this time I very, very, like I was very ADHD last time. And this time I have specific notes and points. So (laughs) I'm excited for notes, but those three episodes of which you were a part are some of my favorite episodes of our show ever. So never apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Also, that one has a lot of good uh, numbers based on the. the (laughs) Right. So good job. That has nothing to do with me. I'm a failure in life. So that yeah. (laughs) And I mean, to be fair, too, like I, I don't can't. There's not. Like, it's not like there's a ton of plot really to get through of this. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and we, like, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have heard this, Chris, because the episode isn't out yet. But, like, last week, our episode was very heavy on, like, the production stuff of, like, why the season is the way it is. And, like, so we've already gone past that. So, like, this is the episode where we could kind of shoot the shit a little bit if we wanted to. I can't imagine there's going to be that much. But we'll see. Yeah, I think there's plenty of places the conversation can go. Well, oh, my, totally. my gun is loaded. Um, Perfect. That doesn't... <laughs> No, that doesn't work. Your, okay. your, um, your poison cane is loaded. Yeah, yes, yes. Perfect. <laughs> well, with that, the episode we're talking about, of course, is the 1967 Spider-Man cartoon, season two, episode two, entitled King Pinned. And that's the picture, Aunt May. I just have to get a job. I am the head of the house now that Uncle Ben is gone, and it's up to me to earn some money. Jameson here. What? I told you, Miss Brandt, that I don't want to be interrupted. Oh, the kid whose uncle was murdered. Well, why didn't you say so? Send him in. No, wait. Tell him he's hired. And get him started right away. The Hoods have a lab somewhere where they make their cheap imitation pharmaceuticals and then force the druggists at gunpoint to buy the stuff. And the poor people who buy it, instead of getting cured, get sicker. And the police can't do anything. The victims are too frightened to sign a complaint. And we haven't been able to locate their lab. But we do know one thing. What's that? 
the head of the ring is the kingpin. So the doc was right. You catch on fast, Jameson. I'll come to the point. Kill that so-called fake medicine story. You're steaming up the public, and it displeases me. Skip it, pal. Nobody tells me what to print in my paper. <laughs> is a bomb. Foswell booby-trapped the presses, and they roll at midnight. The synopsis per IMDb is, Peter Parker overhears talk of a laboratory producing imitation pharmaceuticals. Investigation as Spider-Man lead him to find out <laughs> the whole plot has been engineered by a rotund mobster <laughs> named the Kingpin. That was really hard to read those words. Because it's um, a bad sentence. <laughs> I do like ro- a rotund mobster called yeah. the Kingpin. Thanks. Yeah, the content that. is accurate to the plot, which, you know, isn't always the case for IMDb. Yeah. As someone who has a perfectly normal obsession fighting depression, I uh, I often um, I often kind of overanalyze these shows too much. Uh-huh. And like the, the thing with this episode is the right out of the gate, like this episode opens with a shot of Spidey swinging through Central Park which reveals like begs so many questions like i'm obsessed with how his wedding works mm-hmm. in this series because i i i know there was like the urban legend that there's an episode in the third season where he attaches his web to a cloud i believe that's fake i don't i i, I don't believe what? that's true <laughs> um but that was always like the urban legend growing up i'm a bit older than you two but like i remember in like seventh and eighth grade people when it was um when it started getting repeated in philly mm-hmm. like there'd be that like you know but there is he's swinging through central park at the very first shot of this episode and what the hell is his webbing connected to and oh. um <laughs> this episode this episode like like I'm obsessed with because they reuse so many animation shots in this episode. There's a lot of times where his webbing will just go on forever. And I'm like, what is like the slack of this webbing? Like, (laughs) you know, I got really hung up on that because the show was shot specifically where he's swinging from, I don't know if it's the George Washington or the Brooklyn bridge, but it just, you just keep seeing this shot. um, And it's like, what, what is, what is happening here? So right away, right off the bat, I was perplexed by this episode. Yeah. Oh, well, no doubt. There's plenty to be perplexed about. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will say too. I remember the same conversation was in the '90s show too. Of well, I remember a specific Fox Kids commercial that was like a very meta commercial that was making fun of where does the nineties Spider-Man's web land? And there's like one point where they even, I think on the commercial, like found a frame where it looks like his web is just like hitting the moon, like in the sky, like it's obviously (laughs) not anything. So like the, where Spider-Man's webbing goes and how it works, it's been a conversation for many sure. generations, you know, I'm sure to this day, whatever the latest Spider-Man, I'm sure the, any Spider-Man movie you can pull out, like, that oh, doesn't probably actually make sense. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, I, probably. but I love that. And in an episode yeah. that repeats animation as much as this one does. You're going to see it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The original air date, September 21st, 1968. And 
we do have some characters. Yes. Well, the the exciting stuff that tends to happen in these episodes, because it's the first Spider-Man cartoon, is that like nearly every character that shows up has never appeared anywhere outside the comics. Uh, So this is our first instance of Kingpin outside of the comics. And that's exciting. And I'm very curious, uh, after I talk about who voices him, what you all thought of this Kingpin. But um, Kingpin is likely voiced by Tom Harvey. uh, And I say likely because he is credited on other episodes as uh, as voicing Kingpin, like pretty much universally. Um, But for some reason on this episode, he's not credited everywhere. Also likely because there just isn't any alternative. No one's ever really put forth anyone else. So it is almost certainly Tom Harvey. We did talk about him previously because he voices plenty of characters across this series um, as part of the uncredited voice cast. Um, And we first talked about him as the voice of Electro in the episode Electro, the Human Lightning Bolt. He's also voiced Sandman in this series and Doc Ock in this series. And just as a reminder, he's a Canadian actor who worked on tons of projects with this cast in particular and these this sort of like production circle. Um, and he's one of those radio guys we talk about a lot who has tons and tons of radio credits um, and just sort of like naturally moved into voice acting on TV. So uh, a guy we're familiar with, but uh, worth worth reminding folks about him because he does a, a fine job here. Yeah. Yeah. I... Um... I mean, do we want to talk about his performance now or save for later? It's, I think it's actually kind of love it. <laughs> no, oh, I do too. I, I was surprised. really love his performance in this. He's a really well, funny I do as well. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing about these first instances appearing in animation is like there was no official voice for any character, right? So, like, sometimes we get these really bizarre, sort of surprising voices as like the first swing on interpreting a character's voice. But I feel like. Tom Harvey kind of nails exactly yeah. what I imagine many kingpins to sound like. Yeah. Like I, I kept thinking when I was watching it that it's, it's not exactly this, but I'm sort of like, I kept thinking like he's going in like an Orson Welles direction. Obviously mm-hmm. Orson Welles is, Welles is a very specific voice. It's not exactly that, but right. I could hear little notes of it. Like it feels like he's tar- sort of like targeting that sort of vibe, which is like, yeah, I feel like that's, exactly what king i mean orson wells could have played kingpin and i think 100%. it would have been great um yeah. like i feel like it's exactly in that right direction which i which i like a lot i came into this episode after watching i just finished echo you know and in that oh that, yeah you know we have uh we have the kingpin uh returned by uh vincent d'onofrio and like it's D'Onofrio's performance is so like it's it's fantastic it's so deliberately like labored and everything as you know it's thoughtful and labored at the same time which the kingpin would be because he's just this this monster of a man and I feel like there's hints of Harvey's performance and the other animated kingpins in D'Onofrio's performance which now is become like the definitive kingpin performance. <laughs> yeah. I- I wouldn't be surprised because Harvey kind of adds that Kingpin refinement that you see in a certain, like certain portrayals of Kingpin where he's not just this sort of like big mobster, but he's like this big mobster like D'Onofrio's performance who like cares about his appearance and being like prim and like has things in a particular way and like enjoys the finer things on top of being a scary gangster guy, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, at this point, I'm going to derail your your show notes, even though I just asked for them, and 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 just interject <laughs> this point. 
in in your your both estimation, who is the most humpable kingpin? Well, that's uh, a. I like this question actually because it is worth noting that this kingpin, compared to most kingpins, is small. <laughs> like he's a pretty tiny kingpin. Yeah. He's kind of got a, a a natural human proportion as opposed to most kingpins who are like extremely wide or like extremely tall or extremely something. This guy almost looks like Vincent D'Onofrio too. Yeah. And he has the, uh, this kingpin is just exhausted. He's a big old sleepy head. He's got <laughs> massive bags under his eyes Dude. that are like the, the most, yeah. the, they, they pop out of the animation. When you, when you look yeah. at the character, that is the first thing you notice are the, the bags under his eyes. It's like looking in a mirror. Uh, and it's <laughs> just, um, and I think that's a really interesting take. Like it's subtle. Like is the kingpin weary of his life of crime, you know? And it, yeah. it, <laughs> so I was reading all that into this, but, um, I don't know. I think in in sex appeal factor, I gotta go. Uh-huh. It's it's a tie with D'Onofrio and the nineteen ninety five Spidey, uh, with Spidey tune. I think yeah. that's very fair. D'Onofrio would be like very high on my list as well. But I also, I I dig the Insomniac Kingpin. I think he looks very oh. nice. <laughs> yeah, from the video game. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, that one is a pretty pretty perfect. Yeah, I don't know that one. So I will look him up. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's very traditional kingpin, but I think they just sort of get just exactly what you the bright proportions, I guess. And it's also like a realistic, you know, interpretation in that because it's a you know the graphics are very realistic in that game. So, um, and he's oh, a hey, fancy kingpin. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him right now and uh, call yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, right. I like him a lot. Yeah, D'Onofrio. I I, I like him in anything, so I, I mm-hmm. feel like he's still my number one. The '95 one is a little bit too muscly for me. I think like when he takes his shirt off, which he does in the episodes sometimes, it's just like they tr- they gave everyone in that show abs, and they also did that with Kingpin, <laughs> which is um, so weird. Which, yeah, so that yeah. one that, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like I can't picture it, but I feel like I like the eighties like version quite a bit too. Um, yeah. from either eighty one or Amazing Friends, whichever one he was in. But yeah, you can't beat D'Onofrio, man. Like that was just such a. Such like a uh, uh, a galaxy brain casting. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I do like 81's uh, color scheme. It's one that wears white suit, orange vest, and like blue. What is it? A cravat? <laughs> oh, here. No, you know what? Here's a weird swerve that you were uh-huh. not going to expect you to say. The MTV King. I was wondering if this would come up. Because Michael Clark Duncan voices him. Well, and voice. Duncan, vo- that's the thing. Michael Clark Duncan as a person, I was like, I wasn't, I'm not super attracted to. Michael Clark Duncan's voice, I love. And mm-hmm. they make his MTV design, as much as I don't like the designs, character designs on that show, that I, I like his size on that show. Yep. I think they give him a good look. And that plus Michael Clark Duncan's voice. I'm into very much. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Shitty episode that he was in, but terrible. The actual design I'm, I'm into. Yeah. yeah. Good question. I think, I, I, I think we can all agree though, that, that no one wants to like smash the into the Vider- spider verse kingpin. Right. Is that safe? I mean, I assume? probably wouldn't. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. But he's still a big brick of a man. I wouldn't yeah. say no. If he's he was a sexy character, no, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> I'm we not never... pursuing, but I'm also not saying no. And we <laughs> like... also don't really know what he looks like under under that suit. Like what 
what's really doing under there? there? Yeah, what's happening? Just there? that exact same shape, but flesh. I mean, maybe then that is kind of not. Mm, I don't know how I feel about that, but you know. <laughs> All right, just a mouth. more of me derailing this episode. Perfect. That's fine. Please Again, do. There's like maybe like three plot points in the whole episode anyway. So you know, literally three bullets I've got. So, <laughs> um, and let us know your favorite kingpin or most smashable kingpin. We'd love to know. Um, we get a couple of other characters, uh, in here. I don't know if all these characters would super be worth mentioning, except that they are voiced by our credited cast. So we get Paul souls, uh, who is our Spider-Man voicing Frederick Foswell. Who's probably the most important, uh, character this episode. We get Paul Kligman, who is our J Jonah Jameson voicing a character named Harry, who I was excited about because I thought we were going to get a Harry Osborne. I thought we could add another one to our, our 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 catalog of Harry's, but no. In fact, it is just a random man named Harry, uh, and his wife question mark named Harriet <laughs> is okay. I mean, I, I want to talk about this now because it's not like it's important to the episode, so yeah. we're not going to get to it. When we're talking about plot stuff. Are they supposed to be a reference to something specific that I'm not getting? Because those characters, Harry and Harriet, and the way they look and the way they talk to each other, like is feels so specific. Like they're uh-huh. referencing. Like you know, a I, contemporary movie, but I don't know what it would be. I got um, I got the sense that I wrote in my notes "laughing" question mark because they kind of acted like characters in the laughing vignettes. Okay, uh, I think the timelines line up around okay. the same time. That would make sense. I could believe but that. I also said I also had divine lookalike question mark question mark <laughs> oh my god but i seriously. think that's I, I think that's being disrespectful to the ma- majesty that was divine i was gonna oh, say yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah divine might have something to say about that right yeah and uh, i have nothing but love for uh for divine yeah, yeah. I don't know. Divine might be jealous of a few characteristics here. I'm not sure, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it was just this weird, like, humor moment. And I, I just thought, like, is this, like, a laughing homage? Like, I didn't, Maybe. you know, or, or, and probably, no, because it was New York produced at this point. I was originally thinking hmm. maybe like, some Canadian forgotten sitcom, like, Trouble with Tracy or something, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. But if it's not a reference to something, that means it is there solely to break apart an extremely long web swinging sequence. So I yes. really hope it's a reference Which, to something. I'm <laughs> thankful. I'm thankful that uh-huh. there's something to break apart a web swinging sequence and having people observe. Because one thing I know we're not talking about the episode, but like who gives a shit? Like I, I don't mention I, it in the plot synopsis. Okay. So there's no better right. time. Yeah. But, but the idea that this episode is like Spider-Man's early days, right? Yeah. It's basically picking up right after the previous episode, which, you know, surprised me right off the bat when I was watching it the first time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, they're just sort of, it wasn't like the the beginning of the second season was like one, you know, origin flashback. It's just like, no, this truly is just a new timeline starting from the beginning. And this is picking up like very early. Um, And so it does make sense that if they're sort of, pretending like they're doing the beginning of a new spider-man show they're gonna have people commenting on like what the hell did we just see we saw a guy swinging mm-hmm. through the air and crawling on a wall right. like it makes sense that it's here it's bizarre that it's like a woman who's like i shouldn't have married you harry but it's <laughs> I, I it's it's i appreciate that it's there especially if they need to throw something in to break up three like, to four solid minutes of web swinging uh-huh in in this episode like it even like 
Jameson wasn't even certain Spider-Man existed until yeah. like, he's like, oh, he, ex- he does exist. Yeah. You know, they do exist. <laughs> That's the same thought. Pavlovian. <laughs> <laughs> It really was like that that kind of moment. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting because that's not something I realized uh-huh. that this show ever did was like have this kind of Spidey year one type, you know, yeah. vibe like I, to it. And I like that a lot. It's cool. I knew that they had the origin episode and I knew that it was, you know, effectively just a new series operating kind of on yeah. its own with pieces and parts from the original. But yeah, I didn't realize that they were just going to reset entirely you know yeah uh, which was like a fun little surprise yeah yeah bernard cowan who we've mentioned as our narrator voices a character named dr omar who is not really that important after the first like two minutes um and peg dixon as usual voices every woman in this universe <laughs> <laughs> and she's great at it <laughs> yeah, she does it. i'm sure she was voicing harriet too oh i bet you get for that and it seemed like she had fun so i i admire peg dixon uh, a whole lot if only for the show (laughs) yeah absolutely so okay this episode opens with peter parker convincing aunt may that he needs to get a job after uncle ben's death which was kind of the first clue that's like oh shit they're really just picking up from where this this left off it's just straight up like continuity among these first two episodes so (laughs) so fascinating right and so Peter starts looking around. He he goes to the bugle and Jameson hires him basically without ever having met him kind of out of pity because he hears what happened to Peter and is like, well, there's my good deed for the day. So Peter's just hired and like part of the staff. No questions yeah. asked. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to interject at this moment. Yeah. Because yeah. What a weird kind of character thing for Jameson that is. And like, you know, his and Jameson's whole logic is, oh, this kid's uncle was just murdered. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's get up. How does he know that he didn't murder his uncle? You know, <laughs> that's like, a great point. Know, he didn't ask funny. any questions. And, and I clearly, guess... the fact that there's one of Kingpin's cronies working in the bugle in this episode who that's going to blow up the printing press. Uh, clearly, the hiring practices are not very good at the bugle, which makes sense when watching this episode and you <laughs> see how enormous the fucking day daily bugle building is huge it goes on forever it is like the biggest office building it the an the animation paintings are just the weirdest little tiny <laughs> yellow windows and it like warps backwards like uh-huh. the archaea the, the architecture of this of the daily bugle is fucking breathtaking and i'm just like <laughs> what is the hr department like in this place and how many you know how many reporters do they have there that they have like you know you would think they have hundreds of reporters because the building is so vast yet like the doctor's coming and giving a hot tip to jj who's just really the figurehead you know um Mm -hmm. yeah no this is yeah this is all a great point because i was going to say well jameson's a journalist right so he probably has some sort of information about the, the Ben Parker murder, especially because there were weird circumstances at the dock. But you're right. Frederick Foswell is like fully a rat. <laughs> like yeah. in his, and, and, Fr- and Foswell is typically depicted as somebody pretty close to Jameson. So it's not even like he's just some yeah. random reporter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also like so funny because my first thought when I was watching this episode was that when we talked about the first season, it was like a running joke that 
only Peter, Betty, and Jameson work at the Daily Bugle. We never yeah. see right. any other Daily Bugle employees. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly, out of nowhere, the pace the place is packed with report. All there's other reporters, tired. full offices, yeah, press full workers. Offices. <laughs> Peter has his own desk, like amongst yeah. these other like very tired, stressed out looking reporters. Uh-huh. Like it's so fun. Like for a show that I know was struggling with the budget, like it almost feels like. In the Daily Bugle specifically, like if that was, if this were a live action show, it would be like, oh, your budget just like tripled for your Daily Bugle set, and you packed in all these extras. You built uh-huh. a giant set for it. Like <laughs> it feels like every ounce of like money was like funneled into the Daily Bugle just for a few shots of like reporters working at a desk <laughs> and for the the, the like, printing press. Suddenly, we're thrust into like Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, and it's like, what the hell is going on here? Why are there so many desks around? What's all that? Desks. <laughs> and, and you have to love that um that that Jonah Jameson when he learns about the the plot of this episode he just re- refers to uh Kingpin as quote that fat slob of a racketeer. Yep. <laughs> this is I mean it never really ends although I think you know it ceases at least in live action depictions but like it never really ends the kingpin jabs constantly and this is the yeah. 60s so they certainly yeah, weren't yeah, ending yeah. by that point. Although these are nowhere near like the worst things people including oh. Spider-Man have called kingpin so Sure. <laughs> I I also think it's so interesting to me that the entire premise for this episode is based on this idea of like drugs being man like fake drugs being manufactured yeah um, like like when i when you started the episode you know bef- obviously it becomes part of the plot but when it opens up with just aunt may just talking about how expensive her medicine is and yeah. that like it's not even helping her i'm like this is so fucking real like it's kind of it was kind of weird me out i'm like this just got really like dark and like very true to life out of nowhere in this. And, and even though, you know, it become, it's part of like a gang plot or whatever, like the whole episode is pretty, pretty grounded the entire time yeah. um, in, in a way that really surprised me compared to, you know, some of the weirder psychedelic stuff that I know this show will get into. Totally. And I think it's probably, you could probably credit that entirely to Kingpin being the primary villain. Like sure. it just makes sense. But what's funny is it's so real, right? But it's also Aunt May. So like, it didn't even register for me at first that like something odd was happening. Same. I just was like, yeah. okay, great. Like we're just, we're, we're adding dialogue to like fill in time. And like Aunt May is sick. <laughs> like she always is. So it didn't register to me until Peter's overhearing the conversation with this random Dr. Omar guy and Jameson. And they bring up the medicine racket again. And I was yeah. like, oh shit, that was important. <laughs> like I, I just thought she was going on. <laughs> The the last thing I expected from this episode was like a subtle indictment of the phar- pharmaceutical industry. Like that, was, <laughs> that yeah. did not. I I didn't have that on my like Spidey Bingo card, you know. Right? Yeah. Just, I yeah. I almost yeah, wish I, it were more explicitly so. That would have been awesome because yeah, it's like yeah, it like, ends up being this sort of like street drug operation, but like in yeah. an organized crime situation. But even still, they're like threatening like legit, you know, uh-huh. drug operations and doctors and stuff, and it's just so nobody wants to come forward. Yeah. yeah, like it's actually getting out to the public and no one's no one was doing anything about it. And it's just like that's the whole conversation about drugs now is that yeah. doctors just sort of get coerced by whatever the, you know, whatever the pharma- pharmaceutical uh, agent or agent or spokesperson is and just sort of prescribes whatever based on that because they get cool bribes and stuff out of it's it. So In this case, wild. it's not a bribe. It's like at gunpoint, according to yeah. what they say. But I would believe it. I would believe that some of them are bribes, though, and they could have just swapped out 
the you know threatening their lives with bribes and it would be the same story you know well and and primarily like the threatening that we see is on the part of kingpin towards the press right because like sure you have foswell we get the scene of foswell calling the kingpin which peter does over here so that's like how everything sort of connects and he gets involved but like Foswell just calls Kingpin to say like, Hey, Jameson knows. So like, you better do something about this. And Kingpin just shows up and is like, don't report this or we'll kill you. Like, like it's just like, it's, it's wild. (laughs) Um, and I guess it makes sense. It's very Kingpin of him, I suppose. Um, pretty bold. I would say maybe even for Kingpin, (laughs) but yeah, not, not outside the realm of Kingpin stuff. (laughs) So Peter does overhear this, right? So he pursues, he, he, he watches Kingpin, kidnap jameson and is like well this is bad and very important to me because of what's going on with aunt may um so he follows them along as spider-man and he arrives to i guess kingpin's just like manor or mansion somewhere um and interrupts kingpin further threatening jameson this is what you referenced chris uh spider-man like swings in and everyone's like holy shit he's real (laughs) like well okay but even before something that's super interesting because we mentioned this earlier in this episode like the the infinite kind of the super lengthy web singing swinging sequences spidey following kingpin's car is so long oh, that it dude. spans the course of a commercial break uh-huh like they yeah. cut to commercial then they come back and he's still following the car and and they're they're oh it it, it was it was hilarious how long this sequence is of him following the kingpin's car it's 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 a commercial break, and this is the same sequence, I'm pretty sure, that includes Harry and Harriet. Yeah. yeah. It is so yeah. long. Last yeah. week, I, I timed one sequence, and I believe we said it was like 90 seconds or a full yeah. minute or something like that. This, no doubt, is way longer than that. Yeah. Well, it's in a while. What, what, what I thought about this time is I was like, this from, makes me think of like, you know, like the YouTube poop videos, like where we just edit old cartoons in like absurdist ways or like um, or like that ad- the adult swim, like too many cooks humor yeah, uh, yeah, where it's yeah. just like repeating something over and over and over and over again to the point that it's like uncomfortable, like almost in like an anti humor way. Like sure, it yeah. feels like that's what this is doing. And it makes me <laughs> almost wonder if like shows like this is what inspired like that sort of humor later on, because a lot of those like kind of adult swim things are usually like riffing on, you know, older cartoons anyway. And it's like, it feels like, like if someone had just put this on the internet and told me and put, said it was a YouTube poop video that someone edited, I would have believed it. Like if they just put it straight up straight away, because it really like the funniest part is that it's not just, you know, back and forth Spidey swinging. There's like a, a up shot of the car's wheel that it, the the actual tire turning and it does it like three or four times and yep. got, by the last time it did it i was laughing hysterically right. because it's not just it's not just web swinging it's also showing the kingpin's car over and over and from multiple angles and like it is just so much and then there's this a, a point at which like spider-man and kingpin are staring each other down and spider-man's walking towards kingpin and that goes on forever to the point yeah. where you're like you walked four rooms lengths by now yeah. like you've and then by the you've t- reached him <laughs> and then as soon as he gets up to him then he just like immediately gets knocked out with like with, uh, with gas like yeah. immediately it's so fucking funny but i, I know you both know about this but it, at this point i have to tell uh the the viewers at home yeah they're in in 1980 jim krieg uh, who I believe is a friend of the show. Yeah. Uh, he he did a a film called Viva Spider Man, which is basically a 
live action Spider-Man episode that borrows from a bunch of classic episodes. And the Kingpin Spider-Man confrontation in that live action short <laughs> is taken directly from this episode. And having not seen this episode in years, but having seen Viva Spider-Man on Saturday, because I showed it on my show again. Oh, uh, oh yeah. It, like, I, I was just... I, I just laughed at just the accuracy of how Wright Creek and all of his <laughs> kind of filmmakers got back out. Um, and yeah, it's such a ridiculous sequence because there's just, you know, I, I'm doing it like you can see me at home, but Spidey's just like moving his hands and it's such limited yeah. animation. And they're both kind of slowly approaching each other, but they never actually forever. are really moving <laughs> because of the limited animation. And it's, it is just, uh, the the whole the whole time I was watching this episode, so but specifically the 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 car chase scene and and this sequence, I was just thinking like this would kill in front of a live crowd because yeah. people would just <laughs> be laughing at the yeah. sheer audaciousness of it. But it wasn't even deliberately done. I think it was more just like the cheapness of the animation. Yeah, yeah. Derek, you we got nothing else, movie. you know. Yeah, and Derek's point about like um you know Adult Swim people being influenced by this, I I absolutely see it. Like even even going to like the Venture Brothers opening credits when they steal that dun, 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 sting from the Spider Man you know theme song, you know the the this show is definitely like you see its influence directly on like the TV Funhouse cartoons yeah. and a lot of like the Adult Swim stuff. Like you you absolutely can see it, and so it's like what wasn't necessarily designed to be be humorous that became kind of this low budget trademark of this show which then people found comedic influence in and kind of put it in stuff for contemporary audiences who weren't around for this show the first time around because as much as you know we all you know love it and the people listening to this love it it's amazing to me how unknown yeah. the 67 cartoon is among like you know people today because it isn't available anywhere mm -hmm. you know legally it's or like, on the you know, archive people but you know yeah we're like i guess people you know I, or i feel like if people take things from it they take like the psychedelic yeah. stuff yeah. but it's like and, and obviously that is a big influence and a big part of the show and everything but like yeah the actual pacing and editing of it there's something so particular about about what this is just because of the bizarre constraints they were under that makes it feel like very unique. Like obviously there's plenty of low budget animation that exists that reuses footage footage, but the particular way that this show does it. Yeah. Like it feels very strange and unique in a way that like when you replicate it, it is very, very funny. Well, and the has, fact that it's Spider-Man, I think yeah. is, is what also contributes to this being one of the influential ones. Cause like, you know, after a decade or so, like Spider-Man only grows and grows and grows in sort of ubiquitous consciousness. So, yeah, uh, it makes sense. And if you compare this cartoon to something like Filmation was doing with their reusing of backgrounds and everything in Filmation, when they did it, it just came across as like, oh, oh are we doing this again? <laughs> and it, it doesn't have that like weird surrealism that, you know, this tune does. Which that is does add to it's true. 
it's charming here, whereas if you're watching like the Brady kids or He-Man and they keep walking by the same background, you just get mm -hmm. annoyed. And even as a kid, I remember being like, well, that's cheap, you know? And, yeah. and well, they're well, not I like think... recoloring the background like this. This show will just be like, yeah, we're using the, the same ones. But what if the city's like hot pink now for some reason? I don't right. know. Like <laughs> exactly. The surrealism adds to the charm because if yeah. you're paying attention, yeah, it's like three minutes of web swinging. But but you start to notice like, wait a second, that's a background I saw earlier in a different shot, right? Or they'll like take a random set piece that is has nothing to do with the the episode at hand and just have him swing by that. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, cool. Like, so you can kind of see how they're like, like mixing they're not and matching being pieces. With it. Yeah. 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 Like, I feel like, like there was a, there was kind of a laziness with, with some of the other stuff that, you know, that came later that isn't yeah. really in cartoon. At because the I very, very least, this is not just a loop, you know? Right. At least, you know, like in the third season of this show, they really got into reusing animation from Rocket Robin Hood, just removing the main character and placing Spider-Man in it, mm -hmm. which was a cost-saving device, resulted in like Revolt in the Fifth Dimension, which is arguably the weirdest <laughs> question mark best episode of this show. But even when they were doing like things that were you know, to save money, it was still done in a kind of inventive way that resulted in, you know, we remember this show and there's a reason for that. You yeah. Know? Well, we, we, we speculated last week when we were talking about a lot of the production stuff that this was in many ways, Bakshi's way to experiment with things and see what yeah. worked and what didn't. So if, if that were the case, you, you, have to get stuff like this like there's no way to to actively be using this as a way to test things and not have things come out in an interesting way even if they don't necessarily succeed you know yeah i also have to mention derek i had never heard the term youtube poop uh oh, really? until like a week ago and this is the second time it's come up I mean, it was very big in like, I guess the sort of early YouTube, like around like 2006, 2007, 2008, like that yeah. era of it, when it was sort of a novelty to be like, I can just make my own weird little edited video and put it on the internet and everyone can watch it. And it's not like, I wouldn't say go out and search for YouTube poop videos at this point, because I think that time is I very didn't. much past. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, it is just, it's very like surreal, yeah. the sort of surreal humor and just like, what if we just recut different scenes from a scooby-doo cartoon and made it sound like they said something funny and shaggy said penis by the way that we you know <laughs> cut those letters together and now the same thing repeats over and over and over and over again it's like the, that kind the, of surreal yeah the most famous example humor. that i i that i can think of is the uh eric fensler's gi joe edited psas oh um, see i don't think that was even youtube poop though technically because yeah it actually that kind of made some sense and was like oh. <laughs> and is like funny and is like funny to this day and youtube poop isn't aside there's a couple of them that are still funny there's a scooby doo one with the caveman like one bit of it that i think is hysterical and still holds up but like the gi joe ones it is it's like along those same lines but yeah. if you took the gi joe videos and just like made them like made them not even have jokes just just saying <laughs> just gibberish nonsense <laughs> and then like have characters just run back and forth over and over again that's more like what youtube poop is basically yeah, yeah. basically it's like what you what most of adult swims output is like now these days <laughs> like or okay. or at, at the very least like their bumpers they're weird like psychedelic or like weird surreal bumpers especially where it's like what are, what is happening 
um yeah i mean i think this just speaks to to what i've claimed many times which is i just have like no youtube culture whatsoever i've never been educated in the culture of youtube better off Um, doug that means you're a normal wonderful (laughs) wonderful grounded human being with no issues at all i think whatsoever yeah i think the adult swim like too many cooks kind of thing is a better comparison youtube poop okay. is that was just the first because it just goes I on and on, it's a and on. Yeah, yeah 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 that makes sense youtube yeah. poop yeah. <laughs> i don't want to um, look up poop on youtube like i, I just yeah. like yeah yeah i'm sure good. somebody has created like a a sort of collection of uh yeah. of famous youtube poop yeah Absolutely. I, I I had to watch uh, two girls one cup at work one day. Oh my god! Uh, Why did you have to watch <laughs> it at work? Yeah, we all should have been fired. I worked for a video retailer that you know took forever to close down. It should have closed down like much much earlier. And uh, <laughs> um, like it, the weirdest things, like from train accidents to like oh, you know, no. like you like the most awful things. Yeah. We would like someone would bring up, and then we'd all gather around the old, you know, 2008 yeah. streaming YouTube computer, mm-hmm. and like two girls in one cup was when. <laughs> no. So whenever I hear YouTube poop, that's immediately no. what I think of. Yeah, and don't anyone, if you don't know what that is, don't poop. don't look it up. I can appreciate this historically, but we simply must move on from poop at this Jeez, point. I'm so sorry. Edit that whole <laughs> trunk out. I won't edit that trunk of poop out please <laughs> oh my god this is culture okay um, it is part of our history it is it part, is of, part of our history, history really <laughs> okay oh boy. well spider-man and kingpin have finally confronted one another after 700 minutes of walking towards one another <laughs> um like you referenced derek they don't really fight kingpin just immediately gasses spider-man with his cane and then quickly offers jameson just spider-man in exchange for not running the story he's like if you don't run the story you can have spider-man which seems like a really valuable thing to the press right um no real answer though because knocked out spidey just gets up so either he wasn't knocked out or this just took a lot longer uh than we expect not sure maybe we all interpret it differently who knows Doug, you forgot a very vital, vital bit of information there Uh uh-huh oh boy when kingpin is offering jj this kind of deal yeah he calls j jonah jameson writing man writing man (laughs) which is just chef's kiss and when this episode airs go to uh bionic bigfoot on twitter that's my twitter and it'll just say chris cummins writing man and writing man (laughs) (laughs) it is perfect though to like establish what the relationship here is which kingpin would i think argue is like he's just above j jonah jameson i don't even know your name you're the most famous editor in new york city i have no idea what to call you he doesn't need to <laughs> yeah. right exactly i am in a totally separate world <laughs> he just wants a nap really he wants to commit mm-hmm. crime and get a nap that's all yep. he wants because yeah. he's on he's on sleeping pills that are fake sleeping pills that he is responsible for creating yeah that's it's an Ouroboros of crime. Why he has the bags under his eyes. Yo. That's it. That's it. It's supposed to be helping him sleep, but it's giving him insomnia. <laughs> Truly. He psyoped himself. That's that's how much of a criminal, dare I say, kingpin he is. Incredible. Incredible. Well, they still don't really fight at all because once Spider-Man wakes up and is like, put him up, kingpin runs, which 
is a thing that we have learned is a very Kingpin thing that I think prior to covering so many cartoons, I wouldn't have said as a Kingpin thing. But Kingpin rarely gets caught, and this is not an exception. He runs, and Spider-Man chases after him, and Kingpin's in his helicopter. Sometimes it's a plane, sometimes it's a helicopter. But here it's a <laughs> helicopter, and Spider-Man is like set on on sticking with him, but then learns because of something Kingpin sort of referenced, and I think Foswell referenced at some point too, that there's a bomb in the Daily Bugle, like you mentioned, Chris. So he has to let Kingpin go so he can defuse this bomb, which, by the way, he only seems to get to because Kingpin lets Jameson go, but because Jameson was kidnapped, like he's late to the time when things are supposed to press, or yep. print, and the printers won't run the printer, which would accelerate or set off the bomb, except that they haven't heard from Jameson. So, like, okay, if it actually, were just... none of this makes sense. None of it makes any sense. Like, the more you think about it, because, first of all, so, like, Kingpin kidnapped Jameson to get him to get him to drop the story but this means that Foswell had put the bomb in the presses anyway so it sounds like they were just always planning to blow up the bugle there's an insurance policy I looked at it yes if they didn't get get Jameson to to change it but okay so here's another thing they didn't know that Spidey was coming and thwart the plan so what was Kingpin's plan then because Kingpin based the whole, hey, JJ, I'll give you Spider-Man. But yeah. he didn't know that Spider-Man was coming there to interrupt their meeting. No, he didn't. But I think that he kidnapped Jameson, I think, to further threaten him into not running the story. And I think Spider-Man was just like uh, a happy accident. Because otherwise, Kingpin, I think, would have just been resorting to violence. Which isn't offering Jameson anything so much as it is just like, we'll beat you up until you give in. Right. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's all it was. But here's the thing. What if Jameson was like, okay, sure, I'll drop the story. The bomb has already been placed and is going to go off at midnight. Then Foswell wasn't like there by the bomb, right? So who was going to stop the bomb from going off if Jameson did agree to drop the story? And And also, why is there a ticking clock on the bomb if the bomb is rigged to go off when the presses start? Okay, that's the part that I did very clearly note as not making that much sense because they do say that it's supposed to go off at midnight i don't know if they're saying well it will go off at midnight because that's when they run the presses right or what but that was a weird thing plus they do recycle a shot of the clock so it like hits zero and then goes back like uh 30 (laughs) seconds and then hits zero again there didn't really need to be a timer at all if it's just activated by the presses you're not wrong but i do think there is at least more connection than than none of it making sense sure yeah i i do think you have you have pinpointed the thing that definitely under no circumstances makes sense which is how is the bomb supposed to function do we know where foswell is did he follow a lot was he in the car with kingpin because he could have been back at the bugle. I think he just kind of disappeared. Because Spi- ep- Spi- Spider-Man knows that Foswell works for Kingpin. Yes. So the information is out there. So it's not like he can just go back to work. So he must just yeah. have gone on the run, I guess. Oh, so he's not at the bugle. Or like it's less likely he's at right? the bugle. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, one thing is clear. Spider-Man would not have made it on time. Yeah. Which is a wild way to write this episode. Like Spider-Man does not succeed if Jameson is not late to call for the presses to run. Bananas. Right. Yeah. It's... Anyway, bomb doesn't go off. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> and uh, I guess everybody's safe. So, 
quick solution. Uh, and then we get this little scene at the end here where Peter returns home, finds Aunt May, I guess, in good spirits, despite not really knowing anything happened or is going on. Um, and then reads a, a fresh copy of the bugle with the headline fake medicine racket uncovered by the bugle. No mention of Spider-Man, of course. I, I found this to be kind of an unsatisfying uh, episode because I watched Spider-Man to escape the real world, you know, and, <laughs> like we live in a real world where crimes are reported by, you know, certain figures all the time and nothing is done about it. So like all they did was really like reveal like, oh, hey, there's this drug racket happening, you know, but is it going to stop? Maybe or maybe not. Maybe Aunt Mayo gets medicine that works for her. But given how frail she is, you know, throughout, probably not. And the Kingpin totally gets away with it, you know, and right. he lives to, to fight another day. There's no, like, comeuppance for anyone here. It's just like, okay, these nameless people, you know, uh, their their report got, you know, there's a report in the Bugle that's saying, oh, these bad guys are doing this pharmaceutical you know, hiding. But there's no real conclusion. Yeah. It's like no, living in 2024. I don't want that. <laughs> you're totally right, though. Like, even, I mean, for the, the relevancy to the real world, but also just, like, yeah. in the confines of the story, 100% correct. There is no follow-up on the, the medicine racket. We don't see anybody confront that. Spider-Man certainly doesn't stop it. We know that the Bugle's going to report on it now, but that's not a guarantee that anything will cease. And in yeah. other shows like the 90s show or unlimited uh, you would see the facility blow up or in yes. spectacular or in 2017 you would see the police show up like you would see something happen but in this episode there is no to... conclusion to the actual plot of kingpin that is oh, yeah. introduced all that happens is that the bugle is prevented from blowing up and jameson returns like <laughs> it's like a, it's like the complication gets solved but the actual conflict doesn't get solved <laughs> This is early on Spider-Man where he says out loud, gotta avenge Uncle Ben. You know, he's he's so driven <laughs> to not let bad yeah. guys get away, you know, because he's like, hey, this is the second, third week of Spider-Man or whatever, you know, and the Kingpin just ups and gets away. And Spider-Man's like, ah, look at this. We got a newspaper. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's interesting, too, because it does kind of make Kingpin not a great villain for this early in Peter's right. career as Spider-Man because of that reason. And Kingpin, I think one of the reasons he ends up being effective in these early stories is because he is one of the guys that can get away and consistently does so. It's like a frustration for Spider-Man as he gets like good at stuff. Uh, but that's an interesting point when you consider this is kind of his first, not even kind of, this is his first villain outside yeah. of Ben's murderer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so he, he prevents an explosion, but we don't know that this pharmaceutical ring is shut down. We, we know that the Kingpin straight up gets away, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's, you know, I'm just saying maybe <laughs> like a minute more of animate reused animation from like of a building blowing up or something, just doing a voiceover being like, well, that's it for the pharmaceutical racket. Or <laughs> yeah. and, uh, add that in and cut out like five minutes of Spider-Man web slinging you know Impossible. And, yeah <laughs> which by the way we got you know between like him stopping the bomb and then swinging home to aunt may there's another sequence of spider-man web swinging with the theme song playing which I thought the episode thinking, over. Like, oh it's the end credits and then it's like nope there's a little bit more and then it's the end credits <laughs> with the theme song again happening with more spider-man web swinging <laughs> it's so have absurd you both, have you both come across an episode of any spider-man cartoon so far in doing the show that is as padded as this episode is this i think 
and and I know Derek will know better than I, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say first. I think this is the most egregious uh, instance of this this strategy. I yeah. think. Yeah, because okay. everything else, even cheap cheap shows, even the '90s show, used reuse a lot of stuff, but they would like reuse stuff on very new scripts like you know what i mean like it would still be like recontextualized right and this show like doesn't recontextualize anything at, at all you because know? what they're recycling isn't necessarily like plot right so there's like yeah. an 81 episode with dr doom where they're yeah. very very clearly using pieces of another episode but they're setting and plot pieces so they're just they're just using those to yeah. build a new story. It's more of a that Frankenstein episode, story. That episode still sucks to be it's clear, very bad. but it's not a padded episode. <laughs> right. It just is like, it's, it's just a badly written and edited one, but it, it's yeah. not padded out. Like it makes sense that it's a 22 minute episode. Yeah. This it's so clear that like you could cut out <laughs> a solid half of it, maybe more that oh. it is just like transitional scenes. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, I think it would honestly be worth it just to, just to see like how long this episode would be if you reduced every web swinging sequence down to like two shots. Right. I want to know how long this episode would be if you did that. And you only got two shots of the car. Everything's allowed two shots. Yeah. I still feel like it would be 11 minutes or less. (laughs) Yeah. I think so too. (laughs) But I mean, the thing about this show is it's like hard not to enjoy myself watching it. Right. So like, there's still plenty of like weird, silly stuff. And we talk about this all the time, right? Like we kind of measure things by the metric of the thing we're looking at. Um, And Ralph Bakshi wasn't setting out to make like an amazing Spider-Man show. He was setting out to like experiment and play and like fulfill his contract of making a Spider-Man show and, and inserting like weird little bits like Harry and Harriet in there that are, fun regardless yeah and he still found you know some some dark more i mean this is it's definitely more like the general subject matter is more quote unquote mature than anything (laughs) we saw in the first season right the first season was very straightforward comic booky stuff it is kind of wild between this one and last week's too where it's like some some of the darker sides of spider-man stuff right like actually having uncle ben get murdered and this one having like these sort of like underground gang gang type things that that spider-man comics often do like with a you know a drug racket or whatever like that's that's still Spider-Man, but it's like different shades of Spider-Man that we would normally see. And that does sort of align with what Bakshi had said about wanting to do things that were a little more, had a little more complexity to them, you know, even if they didn't really have a lot of, didn't really maybe execute it perfectly well, you know? (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Like it inherently is a little bit more complex because you're adding these sort of like human complexities that the first one just didn't have. I mean, how things affect people in the world in Bakshi's version so far is like totally different than the first season and that the first season it really didn't affect other people if it mm. wasn't somebody who was kidnapped or it wasn't somebody at gunpoint, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it actually made me kind of think of like, I could have seen if you combine this with the first episode and then, you know, obviously expanded on some of the things in this like this could have been the story of like the 77 live action totally you know like this this is sort of a thing that i could see i mean i think that's why you know jim krieg used this episode for like the sort of supervillain story in his movie it's because like this is a very grounded 
a grounded Spider-Man story. There isn't any superhuman stuff really happening outside of Spider-Man himself doing some web swinging, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I, I could actually see this in live. Act- we, we do see it in live action in a way, but yeah, like, yeah. I could have seen this be the adult live action, primetime Spider-Man show. And it, I think it would have been like better than the one that we actually got. Cause it'll just inherently a little more complex, you know? Yeah. Or in a world where, you know, the, the MCU Spider-Man didn't kick off the way that it did where like everything is massive and the scale of everything is like global or intergalactic Mm -hmm. or whatever. I could, you could see this being a story that like a, a live action Spider-Man TV show or like a very on the ground Spider-Man live action movie could incorporate and it would still be compelling and it would still feel like Spider-Man. Yeah. What other stuff do we want to touch on here? Cause there's probably at least a few things. I just I, I just want to kind of emphasize again uh, that like I actually I don't think I made this point yet, but, you know, we're. What's really interesting watching this now is like Spider-Man was still so new when the show mm-hmm. first hit the air that, you know, like a lot of the inconsistencies and everything kind of work just because he wasn't as fleshed out as he is now. So this is such a weird um this is such a weird uh, TV show to begin with, because I think there's like there's an episode that was based on a comic that came out like just a few months earlier. And and there's weird little things throughout the history of this show where they're just like, you know, I don't know. We're kind of, you know, this and the Fantastic Four cartoon of around the same era very much are like we're going to take stuff from the 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 comic as much as possible but there's also going to be some weird asides that don't have anything to do with the comic. And I, I I think that's like a real interesting thing in the history of Spider-Man shows that, you know, just because of the newness of it all, there's, there's nothing else quite like it. Oh, for sure. Because there, there wasn't this and, and, and Stanley spoke to this, right? I think Derek, or maybe back, she talked about Stanley speaking to this, but like Mm -hmm. there wasn't the sort of obsessive oversight and like canon keeping or continuity keeping that we sort of assume from these properties now, oh, right? Like there yeah, wasn't. No, it was even it was even more. It was Bakshi saying it about Stan Lee in that Marvel and Stan like just didn't really give a shit about what they did like, yeah. on the cartoon. It's sort of like they're focusing on the comics. They're not interested in like the synergy with all of the with their franchise or whatever. They weren't thinking of it in those terms. It's just sort of like here's a cartoon that can help the comics and toys get some sales and they make more money. So like yeah, they had more creative freedom really to do whatever they wanted because there wasn't like you were saying this like canon keeping and like right. kind of like the sanctity of 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 what spider-man is supposed to be like no one right in charge of spider-man like really gave a shit about that outside of the actual comics that they were physically writing themselves of course yeah 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 so you end up with these you know stories sometimes that are inspired by the comics because the writer of the show probably was like that's a good story we'll use it and then these other stories that probably are just totally unrelated to anything because they're like i don't know i want to tell this story you know so (laughs) i I agree chris i think it makes it a really unique and fascinating um thing i think i I think we get some of that also in the 80s but probably for different reasons Mm -hmm. Um, yeah this is this is very specifically kind of its own flavor of that weird sort of chaotic wild west nature of of an adaptation yeah and and like bakshi as an animator is is very hit or miss like i can appreciate a lot of the stuff he did 
Um, but I also find a lot of it very difficult to watch. I think sure, I, I agree. honestly, I think like this and the 1978 Lord of the Rings are the only two things by him that I genuinely appreciate. Mm. Uh, oh, you're not uh, a huge Cool World fan? Chris? I saw Cool World. <laughs> cool World. I saw Cool World in the theater, and it remains oh, wow. the most boring movie I've ever seen. I yep, I don't um, disagree at all. Incredible. There's. Like, yeah, like I wasn't attracted to uh, Kim Basinger or Brad Pitt, so I didn't give a That's shit. So- about what are you going to do? Either of them. Um, right. And the animation I thought was real kind of janky. Story, mm-hmm. what story? Um, <laughs> I kind of, you, you know, I sound so bitchy here, but like I, I, I at least was like, oh, the soundtrack's pretty cool. But like, no pun intended, but like it really isn't. <laughs> and... Yeah. So it was just like, I remember going to see that with a group of friends and we were all just like, wow, that was really bad. What did we uh, just watch? I may have fallen <laughs> asleep. And oh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't do that in movies. Um, yeah. but- I think my, yeah. Cause I had the same thoughts and I think my dad also said that when he first watched it, because I think he also saw it in theaters when it first came out. Um, thinking that it would be like kind of another Roger Rabbit thing and was and yeah. fell asleep watching it. Um, <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Fun stuff. But like, yeah, Bakshi is good in very particular. He's very, he's influential for a reason and very talented, but yeah, exactly. I think, I think his um, stuff is very, it has to be within your tastes or not. But I, and I think the best oh, thing like that Bakshi ever did too. was be experimental. I really like wizards. Know? So uh, that's one that I haven't seen, and like I really want to. I think I like really what I've like seen it. of American Pop, but there's, mm-hmm. you know, Fritz didn't. I, it's a horny cat. I can regard <laughs> it. You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. Chris, you mentioned soundtrack in the context of Cool World, but yeah. <laughs> I, I made a note to ask you, Derek, because you're better at this than I am when it comes to like soundtrack and stuff. Uh-huh. Was there music in this we haven't heard before, or is it just music I'd never noticed because they didn't play it as long? As um, they do in this one, I I can answer this one. Okay, <laughs> oh, nice. Derek, I don't mean to to jump on you. I I I am very obsessed with the Spider-Man music. Oh, um, perfect! I'm glad you're here then. <laughs> uh, Ray I mean, Ellis, I was did, already, but <laughs> Ray Ellis did the music for the first season. Right, they used yeah. a few library tracks, but the second season and third season primarily used library tra- tracks, which were like shows ranging from this cartoon to. Monty Python's Flying Circus used library tracks for movie be- for TV shows and movies because it's very cheap. Dawn of the Dead, another sure. movie they library tracks, and these are great tracks that were like legitimately, but they were done by mood, you know, to to evoke a certain mood. And I know the second season is when a lot of these tracks made their kind of debut. That these songs that have now become kind of the iconic Spidey, you know, songs that everyone ties mm-hmm. into show i just you know there's a i think the wfmu blog a few years back it, i know it's still online they did a whole episode of one of their shows about the spider-man music um and the history Ooh, of okay play a bunch of the tracks there's a canadian group called volume that in the early 2000s released their own recordings of you know certain spider-man music but it's mainly the music from the second and third seasons oh nice and um, so the, the the show has a whole cult of the music. There, there's KPM. It's the KPM Music Library, and I think another music library. But you used to be able to, two or three years ago, get like Spider Jazz was the name of the 
the album that they put out where you could get it. But a lot of this, a lot of this did debut in the second and third season. And there's a whole, like I could do a whole episode about the music of it and everything, because there's been other acts that have, there's a group. I wish I could remember the name, but there's a group that did a medley uh, that was six minutes or seven minutes called swing and dig it. Mole city swing and dig it, um, which you can probably still find on YouTube uh there's a um kind of electronic remakes of of the music in <laughs> 2003 they did this philly this thing in philly called the spider-man cabaret oh where, that sounds um, so cool they had a live band doing the spider-man music in in between like there's was some burlesque there were comedy sketches skeletor performed oh um, my god and just all these things. And I have a, I have a, they, because I was such a freak for it and I covered it for the papers I was writing for at the time, the people who put it together, who still do great things in Philly, um, they put, they, they gave me like a DVD, but there's only like a tiny snippet of, mm. it was kind of like a best of DVD, but there's only kind of a tiny snippet of the live music. But that was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced live. And it was a huge influence on the stuff I try to do because like to have a band doing that Spider-Man music and yeah. the people who were there, it was a packed room with all like hardcore Spider-Man people. And some of these were like nerds who look like they haven't left the house yeah. like <laughs> in ever to just come out because like they build it like we're going to have a band playing like yeah. live yeah. Spider-Man jazz. And it was it was incredible. So, yeah. So. Um, I would just to, to you, Doug, and yeah. to everyone listening to this, just Google search Spider-Man Jazz, um, and you'll learn because the history of it and the history of Ray Ellis is really interesting, and the history of these library tracks and how certain ones are used in like um a lot of uh, I think a lot of Corman films also use the hmm. same library tracks so you'll hear these snippets of music that you recognize for Spider-Man pop up in a lot of different things over the years. <laughs> So there, but there is there's a whole cult dedicated to the music of this. There used to be like a Yahoo group called Spidey Jazz that I belong to. Amazing. And, uh, there's an artist named Alan Hawkshaw who did a bunch of these tracks. He's really super talented, and from like I forget which the name of the track here, but you wouldn't know because none of it is like Kingpin or <laughs> you know it's right. been renamed like Volume renamed a bunch of these tracks when they did that uh, their yeah. stuff, but. You can find all this stuff on YouTube. There is like a whole hour of Spider-Man jazz that people have edited together. People, you know, people rip the music, um, but there's never been like the actual Ray Ellis music that was composed for the series has never been officially released. It hasn't been like, you know how like uh, Scooby-Doo and stuff, all that production music leaked over the years and you can mm -hmm. find it like my spleen that's never happened for Spider-Man with the exception of like the library tracks. So there's still tracks from this show that are unavailable except for fan rips from the uh original series because apparently the master tapes of the ray ellis music were lost in a fire so oh no so it's like yeah so people are constantly it's like the, like any fans of lost media know that like this shit turns up in the weirdest place sure. i'm a big doctor who guy and like the lost episodes of that turn up in like venezuela or you know so yeah. there's still hope that some of this music will turn up but a great deal of the most iconic like riffs and little musical vignettes have turned up and they're available through like just google kpm spider music library i'm being way too verbose about this but <laughs> no really, it's interesting you, no this you is fascinating yeah. on one of my life passions and i do have um there was a whole like unofficial fan project years ago that um 
that they they put together these CDs and did art for it and everything. And I have all the files. So Doug messaged me. I'll hook you up. Oh hi. Um, yeah. So it's it's great <laughs> stuff. Anyway, Amazing. I'm really glad that you were here because if Doug had just asked me and my answer would have been like, yeah, I think they used some new ones in this. There's some I didn't recognize <laughs> and that's what have been my entire answer. So that was a much better answer than my, anything that I could have given. So thank you. I'm disappointed in myself that I can't be like the, dun, 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 dun. you know, Oh, I think <laughs> Spider-Man's amazing friend. So I'm getting my Spidey music mixed up. No, no, but you're, yeah, I, get you're, I get, I, I can, I recognize the one that you're going for though. There's like a, upbeat tune that they use a lot in this show um but yes that stuff a lot of a lot of the stuff you hear if not all of it in the second third season has been found awesome nice and that is something that makes a lot of the repeated shots more palatable too is that at least there's like good music behind behind spidey swinging good music and pretty colors behind spidey swinging Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's almost one of my favorite movies growing up was Fantasia and this is not that that similar but the fact that you brought up those two things th- those long sequences do have a sort of that vibe where it's like you do have this weird psychedelic thing that you kind of look at that transforms in the sky you have these weird angles and buildings that are almost these abstract sort of uh like jarring things against this cool music uh, right. So maybe that I, you know, all the pieces make sense for this to be way more palatable than something that's just looping for sure. Yeah, it's art, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I have some random notes. Sure. Um, Betty has like a light redesign in this, like where with her hair is more styled, and she has this like beautiful like uh, gold chain belt on her dress that's like <laughs> really stylish and like super sixties. Uh-huh. I I love it. Um, she looks great. She looks great. I dig it. And actually, I think the only other note that I had mother Murphy's coffee cakes are referenced by Spider-Man. Is that like a chain that I don't recognize or is it a New York thing or did he just make it up? Because the way he said it, it seemed like it was an actual reference. Yeah. I didn't get that one. Yeah. Like I Googled mother Murphy's uh-huh. coffee cakes and there looks like there is something, but I don't know if that's like a recent thing or just a coincidence or what. Yeah, I don't know. Mother Murphy's coffee, coffee flavors? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there is a Mother Murphy's flavored coffee or flavoring company, but I, I don't, it's not unreasonable to think that it could have been inspired by a just, cartoon someone watched growing up, you know? Yeah, because I just don't even really understand what the quip was, because Spider-Man's like talking, I forget, he's talking to somebody, a cop or something, I don't know. Um but I, I guess it was like, is there a bomb or whatever? And he's like, would you believe one of Mo- Mother Murphy's coffee cakes? And I was like, what are you talking about? What does yeah. coffee cake have to do with anything? I don't understand. It suddenly <laughs> becomes like a cartoon version of one of the old hostess ads. Like, what are you doing? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I can't find anything. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. If anyone out there knows, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I was wondering if it was like a New York specific thing or something, but. Probably. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, I didn't have one more. One more note. Uh, Design wise, Aunt May in her bed when Peter comes home looking so terrified, like a legit ghost, like her white (laughs) hair is all down. She's wearing a bright white nightgown and she's like in her bed like, Peter, what are you doing here? Like they draw her the most terrified 
per like she's like full on like Rosemary Harris when Green Goblin blows up her bedroom. <laughs> like it's like, but, but it's just Peter coming home with a newspaper. It's so weird. <laughs> like she needs some like real anxiety pill stat. Like it, mm-hmm. stop giving her the fake placebos. Like mm-hmm. Peter, get this. Get get your aunt some Xanax, please. <laughs> Like, Please get her the good stuff, the real stuff. Come on, dude. Not the get street up to stuff. in Greenwich Village and get her something. Anything. Rooms. Anything, dude. <laughs> my only note, uh, my only other note that I had is like when they're talking about the money problems, I'm like, yo, the Forest Hills housing market has always been pretty stable. Like, so just sell that house. You two don't need all that space. Just get a That's small true. apartment, sell the house, and that'll solve some of your money problems. Yeah, they don't need that much yeah. space, you know? Yeah. That implies that Aunt May is, like, stable enough to leave and go outside, much less relocate <laughs> to another place. She, that she can breathe fresh paper. air without collapsing. Yeah. <laughs> she will blow away in the wind. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there are some pretty great faces in here. Uh, first and foremost, Harriet's face. We've already talked about her. A little oh, bit God. divine, a little bit... Um, almost like uh, like Cruella's weird sister. A little bit, a lot of things. There's a lot going on with Harriet's face. Yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> and she makes good facial expressions, so we, we had to highlight Harriet. But also, <laughs> Peter winks at the end of this episode, and it is like, it, it's like a Popeye face wink. Yeah. Like he I'm had something so really sour and half of his face just like collapsed in, is how and he again, winks. Like- I, I don't know why he's giving himself like a self congratulatory wink when like the bad guy still on the loose <laughs> and yeah. the pharmaceutical thing. Yeah. Hasn't been stopped yet. Is your aunt okay? Because she's in bed looking like one of the ghosts from Fright Night. So, you know, uh, <laughs> I know Fright Night has vampires. People, you get the joke. Okay. It was, yeah. still yeah. works. I was, I was going to trading was, cards. Thank you. That's I was like I mean. considering, I was considering calling you out on it. Cause Fright Night's like one of my favorite things. <laughs> I of meant all time. Fright. I know. I meant the Fright Flicks tops trading cards, the package okay. where okay. I think there they have go. like the illustration of Amanda Bierce as the, the, when she gets turned into one of the Draculas, uh, one of the Draculas. One of yes. the Draculas. Um, yeah. Anyway, look. Okay, she looks like a ghost from Ghostbusters. Fair to the library ghost. Okay, that's a great, <laughs> that right. is a great pull. And that's on one point. that everyone right, will actually get. Yeah. Just edit out the other shit, you know? No, look. absolutely not. You know what it's like living with this? Do you have any idea what it's like being like this all the time? What, having extremely cool knowledge you can just it's drop just, on people? Oh my god, it's exhausting. <laughs> I can't believe this is like the fifth or sixth time I've been on this show. You guys are gluttons for punishment. I love it. I am very curious about these Fright Night trading cards, though. Um, they're, they're Fright I, Flicks. Tops did Fright, a line of oh. trading cards that were different. Like, they were basically just stickers that had, like, goofy captions. Mm. But they did it from, like, they were from a number of different uh, horror films from, like, 87 oh. to 80. I want but I them. believe, I believe one of the packages has like the Amanda Bierce yeah. vampire on the front package of it. Mm. Well, I see, and she has like the long hair and the flowy white dress. So I, I, yes. I, I do see the connection. I definitely see the connection. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 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 But yeah, Peter winking is a, is is bad. It's really unsettling. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. It's rough. Oh, oh man. man. 
well, that was fun. It's somehow still probably like the most normal episode of this show, to be honest. <laughs> like, true, true. Like, I've actually, I think it's very funny because we're going to have an, uh, probably a number of guests that this will be kind of their first time watching the show potentially. And like, they're probably going to be jealous that you got such a normal episode and they're going to be getting this absolute <laughs> bananas bullshit. That they have no idea what to store for. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. But, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Chris, as usual. It's always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, any, thank any, you both any so final much. thoughts before we, before we wrap up or anything? King pig karate chopping a desk is probably my favorite moment of this episode. Fantastic. Oh, oh God. Does it, isn't he sort of like, I lose more desks this way. Like it's so, yes. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I'm yeah, very glad you brought that up. <laughs> probably my favorite moment of this episode. It's awesome. A plus. So good. So good. <laughs> Well, uh, well, thanks so much. If people want to find you on the internet and everything you're working on, Chris, where's the best place to do that? Uh, on Twitter, I'm most active as the writer man, uh, Chris Cummins, at Bionic Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> but you can find me on every other social media waste of time at Sci-Fi Explosion. Just, yeah, Sci-Fi Explosion, Sci-Fi Explosion. Friday nights at 7.30 uh tune in to twitch.tv forward slash sci-fi explosion saturdays uh usually from 10 a.m to 12 p.m eastern standard time is when i do the cosmic cartoon show um which again you can tune in for uh for kind of all sorts of retro fun uh and sci-fi explosion is celebrating its 10th year there will be some live shows there um and uh yeah lots of fun in store lots of fun in store yeah that's awesome yeah well, if you want, uh, there's lots of fun in store on our Patreon, <laughs> Walloping Web Snap or patreoncom snappers. You can join us for as little as one dollar a month for lots of bonus content. We've got a whole schedule of events. I, a schedule of events probably isn't the right way to put it, but they're kind of events. A, an episode drop every is an event. Every episode right? of ours is an every event. episode of ours is an event. So <laughs> schedule a schedule of events such as all our. All our Patreon drops is available there. So definitely check that out. You can also check out our Discord. There's a link to that in the show notes if you want to chat with us and other listeners. But uh, Doug, if people want to find you and everything else you're working on, where's the best place to do that? You can find me everywhere at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. And you can listen to me on a Glitter Jaw show called Novel Gaming, where my co-host Katie and I catch up on all of the books, video games, and sometimes other uh, pop culture and media that we have been consuming lately. What about you, Derek? Sure. I'm most active on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on other platforms under that name or Dare Bear, Mr. Dare Bear. Uh, I have another show on Glitter Jaw called Gimmicks, where my co-host David and I look at the high concept, experimental, structure breaking, gimmicky episodes of TV. Uh, I also have a Twitch at Mr. Dare Bear, where I, when I have time, I'll occasionally stream VHS recordings of old television airings with the original commercials. Um, And also, if you subscribe to uh, or follow uh chris's sci-fi explosion twitch that's also a way to get updates for whenever we do our toku thursday show once a month as well uh because i'm sure we'll have an, we'll have another one coming up sometime in february uh when this episode after this episode drops um if you would like to find other queer creators who talk about media 
check out the Glitterjaw Queer Podcast Collective at Glitterjaw.com. That includes Doug and I's new monthly podcast, Screeonk, a Godzilla movie marathon where we're stomping through Godzilla's filmography. Uh, the most recent episode is on 1999's Godzilla 2000, which was a very, very fun one to do. Um, that is out now on the Screeonk feed. Um, I'll also plug uh, Distant Echoes, a Star Wars podcast. I think if I'm getting my timelines right, I think around now uh, is uh, when they're dropping an episode that I was on. Uh, they're doing two episodes on the 2D Clone Wars micro series, which is probably my Star Wars favorite star wars thing ever and i'm guesting on that and it was a really fun one to do and i almost forgot i have a new podcast coming out lee carvalho's potting challenge which is a (laughs) simpsons gaming podcast that um tommy and i are doing tommy from distant echoes um we've been best friends forever and have loved the simpsons together forever so of course we're going through all of these simpsons video games chronologically and our intro episode where we just sort of talk about our history with the Simpsons and Simpsons video games uh, is out. So look up the Lee Carvalho potting challenge feed anywhere you get your podcasts or on glitterjaw.com. You can find the links there. Such a good idea. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you say that and then the many, there are a lot of Simpsons games and many of them are bad. So no, no, no. You See, know? it's a great idea for us, the listeners. It oh, might yeah. be painful for you, the yeah. creators. Listen, literally <laughs> painful. We went to an arcade uh, last weekend as of this recording to, and played the simpsons arcade game like in authentic like arcade yeah. you know in an you know authentically to get the full experience and my hands were in pain after like, <laughs> beating it um i i don't understand how anyone had the, had the stamina back in the day like i don't know what i <laughs> why how i even do anything now but yeah so definitely check that out but yeah back to wallaby web snappers visit us on our <laughs> website wallabywebsnappers.com uh follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at wallaby web pod email us at wallaby web snappers podcast at gmail.com of course rate review and subscribe on all our podcast platforms do that for like any glitter jaw show or any of the mm-hmm. show doug any of the shows doug or i are on especially um because it very much helps us especially for new shows uh next week spidey has to stop stop and save manhattan spidey has to save manhattan from a nuclear reactor but also stop it from like floating up into the sky no big deal in the episode swing city fantastic i can't wait (laughs) see you then bye spider-man spider-man does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches seeds just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man Is he strong? Listen, bud He's got radioactive blood Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man In the chill of night Wherever there's a hang-up, you'll find a Spider-Man.